Previously on All In or Knocked Out. It was a pretty natural uh, transition from that idea to a bet because that's just something I'm surrounded by being in poker. I've never really been involved in one of these types of prop bets. God damn, this is another another, uh, opportunity for this. Like Olivier, JC is also a famous high-stakes player. With $3 million in live tournament winnings, he's the highest-earning tournament poker player from Mexico. And my uncle said, said, uh, just remember this, the one who hits first hits last. That was a big thing. And this girl says, weren't you two going to fight? And... And then I turn around, and, and the guy's like, so, yeah, like, what's up? And right when he gets there, I fucking throw a wild overhand right, and I miss. <laughs> and I was just like, um, and I said to the guy, I was like, yo, like, is there a problem? And the guy was like, uh, yeah, there's a problem. And, like, I was like, all right. And I just, like, started walking outside. He, like, followed me. He was, like, really down to go, you know? And this guy, like, I didn't even realize that this guy was fucking huge. You know, some of the guys at the gym who aren't world champions are getting paid like 12000 to fight in a professional, like, big league and, or, or less than that, and they're training so fucking hard, and I'm playing poker for millions, and I'm, you know, not caring. So how did it come to pass that J.C. Alvarado and Olivier Bousquet ever even got to the point where betting over $100,000 each on their debut MMA fight became a possibility? To answer that question, we have to take a dive into their poker careers. Let's go back to Olivier. You might remember from part one that he got so obsessed with poker that it actually cost him his job. I ended up working on Wall Street. I was working at a hedge fund. And there was it was thought that you know poker and trading had a large skill set overlap. So I actually tried to learn how to play poker as a way to try to develop skills that were relevant for trading. Mm-hmm. And I ended up becoming so obsessed with poker, originally in a pretty unhealthy way, to be honest, so kind of consumed and even addicted by it. Um, I was playing on the internet at the time, and I ended up getting fired from my job for playing at work. All of a sudden, I was didn't have anything to do all day, and I just played poker all day, every day. Unsurprisingly, he took some flack for this at home as well. And it was funny, the the way I moved out was because I was living with my father. Um, First, I was living with my mother, but my parents were going through a divorce, and then my father moved in, my mother moved out, and my father was not a fan of playing poker. I mean, my mother wasn't either, but my mother didn't deal with it the same way that my father did. My father, what the first thing that he did was cancel the travel channel on our cable, (laughs) Uh, and the travel channel was the channel that played the World Poker Tour. Um, so right. I used to record the World Poker Tour and like come home and like be very excited to watch it. And it wasn't there one day, and I asked my father, like, you know, what happened to this? And I tried to go to the channel, it wasn't there, and I was like, did you cancel the World the, the Travel Channel? And he like looked at me and he was like, yeah. And if you're not careful, I'm you know I'm going to cancel the internet. And I was like, Jeez. oh really? I was like, okay. I, did, I didn't even I didn't argue with him. I didn't say anything. I just like instantly like looked for apartments. And two days later, I was I was on my own, and I was like, there's just no way someone's going to try to threaten my ability to play poker. <laughs> but Olivier did eventually tone down his obsessiveness, at least to a degree. A part of it was me falling in love and um, getting married, especially because um, my ex-wife uh, has two kids. So there was like an entire family dynamic there. And that I remember there was one day where I like lost, I don't know, like $50,000 online or something. And, uh, and that's like a pretty big down day for me. I'd like to pause here and let that sink in a little. To some people, losing $50,000 would be a catastrophic event. To Olivier, it was, in his own words, a pretty down day. All right, let's continue. And I was just, like, pretty upset and was just, like, very, you know, consumed with myself and my own frustration and disappointment. And we had had plans to, you know, I don't know, go to the park with with her kids or something. And she just, she just very bluntly, she just said to me, look, when you're dealing with kids... And her kids at the time, they weren't even that young. I mean, they were teenagers at the time. But still, she's like, when you're dealing with kids, you just, you just, it just can't be about you. You just have to forget and put away whatever's going on 
and just prioritize their well-being, their happiness, like the, the experience that they're having. That's just, you just don't have a choice. That's just, that's how it has to be. And, you know, I, I tried to take to heart what you said, and I think it, you know, I think she's right in terms of when you're dealing with kids. And I was just one of those situations. It was weird. I just felt like, okay, I mean, I guess I don't have a choice now, so I'll just do that. <laughs> and uh, I remember that day well because I was, to my almost disbelief, I was able to do it. And I was just like, yeah, I just like almost forgot, I just forgot about it for for like the entire day. And and then the next day, the kind of like emotional sting was, you know, incredibly diluted. It was just like almost like it was not there. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. To be a lead at poker, you have to be a little obsessive. But the line between obsession, compulsion, and rationality can often be a tough one for poker players. Winning poker players are paid by the hour. If they're better than their opponents, then the more they play, and the higher stakes they play, the more that they can win. It's a tricky tightrope, and more than one poker player has gone busto, that is, lost all their money, trying to walk it. This is All In or Knocked Out. In this series, you'll hear the story of two elite professional poker players stepping into a mixed martial arts cage for the very first time. With only the bare basics in MMA training and experience, they've agreed to fight one another for a quarter million dollars. We'll follow their journey as they face their fears and dedicate everything to the fight. Here's your host, Terrence Chan. Part 2. Seek Discipline and Find Your Liberty. To some extent, J.C. Alvarado was born into poker. His grandmother was rumored by many in her family to be a poker addict, losing a great fortune. Although if you ask her, she was a big winner, naturally. And I remember, like, my grandma was a big-time gambler. Um, she, she even played, like, home games back in, like, the 60s and 50s. Uh, big, big, like, lose-your-house home games poker. She played poker. Uh, and, huh? It, it was actually like your grandma played poker in the 50s and 60s? My grandma played poker in the 50s and 60s and won a lot of money according to, to her. And then according to my, to my aunts and uncles, she lost all the money. Because <laughs> like my grandma was rich and my right. parents weren't rich. Um, so, so uh, yeah, she, she lost a ton. And even she, she recently passed away, but... Uh, but even as recently as like last year, I she lived in a ranch, and I'd uh, uh, head over to the ranch, and my grandma would be grinding stars, like you know, barely able to walk, and she she'd disagree with me on stuff. She'd tell me hand histories that she played like fifty years ago. So I always had gambling in my in my system since I was a kid because I grew up with my grandma. She told me how to she taught me how to play poker with you know with fake chips and stuff when I was a kid. It didn't help that his own family members conspired against him as well. So when I was 13 years old, 12, 13, 14, I would spend my, my summers in Mexico City with my, with my cousins because my mom always wanted me to understand. You know, she didn't want me to turn into a gringo, right? Uh, she wanted me to also understand my, the fact that I was Mexican and, and get that whole part of my life. Of my life. Um, so I'd go and live with my aunt for like two months and stay with my cousins and my cousins were all older than me and like really bullied me. Um, and, and they had a pool table in their house and I got really into gambling. Like I'd gamble at everything. Mm. I would gamble at pool. I'd, I'd make, I'd make up games to gamble in. I'd gamble at penalty kicks with my friends. Um, just, you know, shoot penalty kicks. I'll be the goalie and then I'll shoot. And, uh, whoever wins a round of five penalty kicks wins like whatever, you know, I didn't have money at the time, but, um, but my mom would send me with some money so that I had enough to spend on whatever. And I'd lose it quickly because these guys were older and they, they were just hustling me. And his, was it their idea friends, to gamble or, or was it like yeah, yeah. you were the one? It was originally their idea. And then I'd just, like, I'd go on tilt. Tilt is a common poker term. It refers to those times when an otherwise rational player 
starts to lose a few bets, then starts playing terribly in an attempt to get it back. By the way, I love the origin of the term tilt. It originally comes from those old pinball machines that would break down and flash tilt because you rock them too hard in an effort to get the ball exactly where you wanted it. Anyway. <laughs> I'd keep pressing. Like, I'd be like, all right, fuck it. Like, we didn't, you know, we didn't lose. I, I can't win at pool, but I'll bet you a penalty kick. And then sometimes uh. I'd win. A lot of the times I'd lose because I was throwing penalty kicks against, like, 17-year-old soccer players also. Um, and I was, like, 13 and or you know, whatever age I was. And I remember one summer, finally, I lost all my clothes gambling. <laughs> that I, took, that I, took. Uh, I lost, like, the entire bag of clothes. Because I'd bet my... I'd be like, all right, your fucking um, shirt against my shirt. And then, you know, I'd lose it. And my belt against your pants. And I'd lose it. And uh, if I liked some, like my cousin's friends were all dressed in my clothes all of a sudden because I had I had nice nicer clothes than they did because you know I'd buy it in the U.S. and uh, and I just get owned. With gambling firmly established in his DNA, JC's love for poker specifically started when he drove his car out west to Los Angeles to pursue a career in the film industry. So I. That whole year from 18 to 19 when I wasn't in college and wasn't playing soccer anymore, I was sort of diving into the film world. And I decided that I was going to go to to move to L.A. and study film. Okay. So I'm I, like, as soon as I could, I packed my bags. I think I had a bankroll of like 1500 bucks. And I moved to L.A. I drove to L.A., and I got a roommate, and I got into the community college in Santa Monica, and I got into the film program there. And I, and then that, yeah, I was just playing poker in the afternoons online, and um, going to school in the mornings. And within maybe a year or so, I won a fifty-five dollar tournament where I got heads up against Johnny Bax, who, uh, who was at the time ranked number one, uh, on the online, uh, tournament scene. I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know anyone. I, I was a limit hold'em player before that. I was only playing limit hold'em cash games and I won this tournament and I won like 10 grand and it was against the best player in the world. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. I'm a professional poker player now. I quit. I quit school. I had a bankroll, you know, to last me a lifetime. And so my mom always thought I had a gambling problem because I did. Uh, and so when I turned into a professional gambler, she wasn't very happy. And right. and that's uh, that was, you know, when I quit college and stuff. She thought. And, I mean, she's uh, basically been through this story with your grandma. grandma. She, she's already yeah, been exactly. through the story once. Yeah. Exactly. Even worse, JC would end up losing the $10,000 and moving back in with his mom. JC talks about that day. The the day I got back home to Texas, I had a long talk with my mom where we talked about, uh, you know, poker and she was very unhappy and I didn't have any money. And I, and I, I showed her my poker tracker. Um, I showed her like, like all the stats, all the numbers, all the like the graphs, and I, and I was like, this is all like a math thing. And she had dabbled in the stock market for a while, so she understood it. She was like, it's, it looks a lot like like trading. Um, and she went in the closet and she she brought out five thousand bucks in cash, and she said, this is all the money I have. Like take it and then you could pay me back some other time. Wow. And that was Saturday night. Um, I had six hundred bucks in my in my stars account, and then I had that five k in cash. So I played all the Sunday tournaments that I could play. The Sunday tournaments are a big deal in the internet poker world. Sunday is the biggest day of the week in online poker, and it's when pros and amateurs alike sit in front of their computers to play in the biggest online poker tournaments of the week. And that night I won the $11 rebuy for 18K and uh, like handed her her 5K back at like three in the morning. 
and then Tuesday I won the 150 for like for like 20k, and next Sunday I won the 11 rebuy again for another 18k, and all of a sudden I had like a 65k bankroll or something like that within a week and a half, uh, and and that was it. That, that's how that's how it like all started. So yeah, I had a bunch of money all of a sudden, <laughs> and uh, and I hadn't even turned 21. I, I was like 20, and and my mom was like, you know, she'd never seen 50 grand in her life probably. Uh, maybe she, you know at some point, but it was, you know, it was uh, it was very very shocking. And and then yeah, that's how my career got started. $600 to $65,000 in about a week and a half, and one reasonably convinced mother later, JC becomes a pro poker player for good. He mostly travels the European circuit, playing tournaments with entry fees ranging from 1,000 to 100,000 euros. I've been, I've been around at this point. I've been, I'm fairly well known in the poker community by now, and I've had some success live and all that stuff. So, um, Andrew posts a blog um, about having an MMA fight set up against uh, Sorrell Mizzy. The Andrew is Andrew Robel. You might remember him from part one. The way that this story goes is that in 2011, Robel planned a fight against yet another high-stakes poker player. In this case, it was a Canadian named Sorrell Mizzy. Mizzy ended up backing out, and Robel went to his blog to see if there was interest from anyone else in the poker community who would want to fight him for honor and cash. JC, ever the gambler, sensed an opportunity. And he said something. He, he called it. He, he said, I, I, "I keep. Tra- I've been training Jujusti uh, <laughs> for some time." And he kept calling it Jujusti, and I was like, "This guy has to be a fish." A fish, of course, is poker slang for anyone who's a losing player, specifically one that's ignorant about just how bad he is. Right. <laughs> If he's calling it just even if he's training, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'd been an MMA fan by now for a while. Um, and I had also taken, a, at, at this point, I'd trained a little bit as well. I'd maybe trained for like six months or something, I guess. Um, and, and then we decided... Uh, we decided we were going to fight, but um, Black Friday happened, and sort of, you know, everyone sort of lost their anything that was going on in your life before Black Friday sort of stopped, and it and all the focus became on whether or not we were going to lose all our money, right? Black Friday is an infamous day to internet poker players. It's like the 9/11 or the Kennedy assassination of online poker. You know exactly where you were and what you were doing when it happened, and you remember very clearly how much your world changed afterwards. On April 15, 2011, the U.S. Department of Justice seized the domains of the biggest poker sites on the Internet, briefly shutting down something like 80% of the U.S. poker market. Not only were online poker pros suddenly deprived of a place to play, many of them had huge percentages of their personal net worth locked up in the hands of the U.S. federal government, and they had no idea when they were going to get it back, if ever. As J.C. says... But but there was no there was no room for like making prop bets at this point because everyone was in panic, so we kind of forgot about it. So the Andrew Robel J C Alvarado prop bet fight was put to bed almost as quickly as it started, but then it became resurrected in the most unlikely of ways. MiddleEasy.com, an MMA gossip website, discovered Robel's blog, the one he'd written back in 2011 after the Sorrel Mizzy fight fell through. They didn't understand that he wrote that he wanted to fight someone in the poker community for 50k with his same level of experience they just uh, they just assumed he wanted to fight anyone for 50k and they made fun of that and and I saw the middle easy thing and I retweeted it and thought it was pretty funny and um, and then Andrew writes tweets at me and he says if you still want to do it like I'd be down to do it and I said, sure. If you ask JC, he'll tell you he has no idea why he just tends to immediately accept these big money public challenges for MMA fights. But he's definitely recognized the pattern. I think it's just the challenge, right? Like, 
like you fight and obviously you don't do it for the money you no. do it because you, you know you want to test yourself in, in, in this realm just a note here JC's referring to my own MMA career I'm a former poker pro myself and a few years ago I stopped playing poker full time and started focusing on MMA as well as podcasting I've had four amateur fights and two pro fights my presence in the poker community and the fact that I've had sanctioned MMA fights is how I've ended up involved in the fight between JC and Olivier to begin with. But this isn't about me, so I'm going to let JC continue. And I guess I'm kind of the same way, except that I know that I won't do like I won't do a full camp for an amateur fight. I probably won't even really get motivated to train for an amateur fight because because I still have poker as some as my main focus for now and I don't I don't think you can do the two things well at once. And so JC and Andrew both started to train hard for their imminent showdown. I personally even grappled with both guys so that an objective party could assess their relative skill levels. They came to an agreement. Robel, who was about ten pounds bigger, would put up thirty four thousand dollars. On the other side, JC would put up twenty thousand dollars. But shortly after the fight was agreed upon, Robo got the opportunity to play some high-stakes poker games in Macau, which is often considered the Las Vegas of Asia. By the way, when I mean high-stakes, I mean high-stakes. These are games built around tremendously wealthy Chinese businessmen, and often involve multi-million dollar pots. The only guys willing to challenge them are the best of the best in the poker world, and even then, only the ones that are tremendously well bankrolled. On top of that, the Chinese businessmen are choosy about who they let play in the games, so when Robo got the opportunity, he took full advantage of it, leaving his home in Las Vegas, traveling to Macau for weeks and months at a time. With that kind of lifestyle, there was no way that he'd be able to train for a fight against JC, which involved a mere $54,000. So this time, it ends up being Robo that cancels the fight, and he pays the agreed-upon settlement. Uh, and I got paid like 12 k for the buyout, which was pretty irrelevant, but... um. But that was it. It was pretty frustrating. But at the time, as a, at the same time, I was very relieved because I had two broken ribs, and I I was very worried about you know how the fight would go because training was torture with two broken ribs. So just in case you missed that, the guy with two broken ribs just used the word frustrated to explain the situation where his opponent paid him twelve thousand dollars not to fight him. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a guy who wants to get in a fight. Hey, it's Ross. And this is Terrence. We hope that you're enjoying this documentary series as much as we've enjoyed making it for you. The thing is, it's taking us some serious time and commitment for us to do this. And we'd love to recoup some of those costs. If you're enjoying the show, please help us out. Consider contributing whatever you're comfortable with at allinternockedout.com, and we can keep making the show together. Even a small donation goes a long way. After all, we don't want Ross to have to default on his student loans from broadcasting school. Or for Terrence to actually have to go back to playing poker for money. Right. Thanks. Now back to the show. When we last left him, Olivier was getting thrown into the deep end in his very first MMA class. You'll remember that didn't end up so well. He ended up getting cut and needing stitches at the hospital. Brandon, like, gets in the clinch with me, and he's, like, shorter than me. And his, like, the top of his head just, like, comes underneath my chin um, and just, like, splits my chin open. And there's oh. just, like – and, like, I didn't even notice it. And, like, when we were done, he looks at me, and, and, and I'm like, what? He, I just saw a look on his face, and I'm like, what? And, like, I look down, and there's, like, a puddle of, like, blood, like, forming <laughs> underneath me. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then, like, yeah, I had to, like, go to, like, a city MD across the street and get stitches – his luck didn't improve much. We had this conversation about three weeks before the fight. I've also had some injuries. Um, I actually had one uh, just on Friday. Um, I, I, so I, I took a knee to the face and broke my nose like a couple months ago. Um, and then I took a knee to the face again on Friday. As a point of clarification, he's referring to Friday, March 25th. At this point, less than one month away from the fight. 
And I don't think I broke my nose, but like I split it open again, and like it like this cut like crosses the old cut, <laughs> like make is, oh, it, like just... makes a Y with the old cut. Um, so that was like pretty, and especially because it was like a knee from pretty much like this guy, this kid had like side control on me, so it was like it like I mean I don't want to say like an illegal knee, but it was just like a you know it was like a knee that was completely non-purposeful and right. um, and just like basically makes it so that I can't spar from now until the fight, which is pretty annoying. Um, but I mean, I've done a lot of sparring now, so I don't think it's that huge of a deal. I've never gotten like completely crushed during stand-up sparring, but during ground and pound, um, I got, I think I got crushed like pretty much three times. Um, and I'll, pretty much every time I just like have someone like hanging on my back and just like hitting me over and over again. Um, and I'm just like, you know, I mean, one of the things that I quickly realized was just like, there's just this incredible difference between fighting when you have energy and fighting when you don't. And when you don't have energy, your body is just like, it just doesn't respond to you. It's just like, it's, everything is in slow motion. And if the person that you're up against has more energy than you, it's like scary. I mean, it's just like that you just feel like they can just do whatever they want. And, like, you really feel helpless at times, uh, especially if the guy's good. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm – most of the kids um, that I've been training with are, are lighter than me. Um, so that's good. It's good because it somewhat mimics JC. And then it's also good because they can go a little bit harder because they're not as big. Um, you know, I think JC might have a little bit of a problem mimicking in, like, serious sparring with someone bigger than him to mimic me. Because, like, if someone bigger than him goes really hard, they could really do some damage. Um, especially assuming that the people that both him and I are sparring with are more experienced and better fighters because we're just beginners. Um, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I mean, there were a couple instances where I'm just, like, so just dead. And there's still a couple more minutes on the clock. And someone's just, like, on my back. And people are like yelling at me, like get up, like not to give up, and I'm just like, I'm like, what am I doing right now? This is wild. Like this is this is so awful. And you're this really hyper competitive person. Like you don't want to lose at board games. You don't want to lose at poker. Right. You're you're yep. you're this guy. But what's it, so? What's it like to like be physically dominated in this way? Because I'm, I'm sure it's you awful. didn't stop trying. It's awful. <laughs> it's really awful. I mean, there's a you know again there's there's. You know, I have the. I try to like um, distinguish between the different kind of reactions that I have. So I mean, I have this intellectual reaction where I'm like, "Yeah, of course you can get your ass beat." And then, and then there's also just like this. There's the feeling that happened that you get right after, and then there's the feeling that you get kind of like a few hours later, and they're a little bit different. You know, the feeling right after is just like this overwhelming, like holy shit. Um, you know, it's like a almost like a level of like panic, um, and just and desperation. And then, like the late, the late, the feeling that I got later on was just like, "Whew, man, you, you're you're more detached from it. You can almost kind of like laugh at it, but you're still just like, man, that that was not fun. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to repeat that. That that sucked. Um, this guy really like, you know, this guy really fucked me up. Um, and but but you know that this maybe it goes without saying, but it's, it should you know these are always in contexts where I'm training with partners, teammates. So we are not trying to hurt each other. The whole right. purpose of what we're doing is to help one another. And that's clear and understood and, you know, conscious on everyone's part throughout. So, you know, it's different from being in a situation where someone's genuinely trying to hurt you, genuinely trying to like knock you out or, or, you know, or, 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 or beat you in a fight. Um, I have, you know, I, you know, I haven't had that experience. I mean, I, I did a jujitsu tournament, but that was just jujitsu. Um, and the level of intensity was a little bit higher. Um, but not that much higher. And again, since there's no striking, it's not you know it's, it's not the same. How did how did you do? Out of curiosity. Uh, so it wasn't like this official tournament. It was like an in-house tournament that was run ah, okay. by my gym. Yep. Um, but there was like four, like five other gyms that came and competed. I ended up getting third in my weight class. I beat a white belt. Then I lost to one of the kids on the comp team at my gym. It was really it really suck to have to go against him because I go against him anyway and he's just like so good and then they they made a match for third place 
um, where I rolled against a guy who was like a former Marine who'd been training for like seven years. He was like my size. He had had a couple MMA fights and was like been a blue belt for a while. And it was like pretty close, but I ended up winning, um, wow. not subbing him, but still like winning on points. Um, and that was like, that like gave me a lot of confidence and, um, and I had beaten some blue belts in, 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 in the gym before nobody from the comp team, but still some guys who just train and are blue belts. Um, so, I mean, that was, you know, people, people were like happy for me and that was like, felt good. Um, but you know, it's one thing, you know, like just because, you know, I didn't like sub him, you know, I didn't crush him. I mean, I just like kind of got him down. was like on top more than he was. But yeah, I mean that that was definitely like a little bit of a vote of confidence. I mean, it's, you know, it, it gave me some confidence. It's safe to say that three weeks before the fight, as I was formally interviewing both men, that they were both starting to feel the pressure. You'll recall from part one that JC was struggling through a bad breakup right when the fight was made official. But there's more than just that. One thing that has happened in the past six months is that I've that I haven't I've run, I've run into like a lot of bad luck financially. Um, in all sorts of different ways that don't involve playing poker. Um, so I was doing great when I did the bet and then just an onslaught of bad news started to happen and, and, uh, and, you know, been getting kind of crushed. So, so that's like, that's one motivation right there. Cause now I have a, a bet that is worth a lot more than it was worth for me, you know, uh, a few months ago. Another thing is that I, I competed all my life in anything. Like I, I played competitive, as, you know, when I, so when I was little, I did competitive taekwondo, I did competitive gymnastics, I did competitive soccer. Um, I then only did competitive soccer. Then I did baseball, basketball, um, tennis. Competition is the only thing I've ever really known and the only thing that I've ever really excelled at. Like I need to win because that's the way I'm wired. I, I am, and I know that he is too. Uh, so that makes it, um, interesting, but I, I think there's different, you know, there's different levels. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think he's as competitive as me. I, I think that's pretty tough to, to get to. That's a pretty tough place to get to. Um, and, uh, maybe he is, but, but that's, that's one thing. I just won't allow myself to do any, to do anything but my best effort. And, um, and the motivation is that, like, I don't want to lose. I, I don't want to lose, uh, in front of people, I don't want to, you know, get knocked out and have that be on YouTube forever. I don't want to let my coaches down. Um, and I don't want to lose the money, that's for sure. So, so, so I'm pretty, pretty fucking motivated. On the surface, playing poker for a living seems pretty glamorous. Sleep in until whenever you want, make some money fleecing the amateurs, go out and party, and then do it again the next day. No boss, no coworkers, no meetings, no emails. And it's true. This is a life that both men have been living for quite a while, and they're both very happy with it. But there's a sense in which that complete lack of structure leads to a breakdown in discipline. One of the things that I enjoyed most in my conversations with both Olivia and JC was that both of them independently brought up the idea that training at MMA brought both discipline and structure to their lives, two things that the poker life just wasn't giving them. It was important enough to both men that they both brought it up to me without me even ever raising the topic. Here's JC. One of the... the the best things I, I've heard in this in this camp um, I heard the quote from a, a high level jiu-jitsu guy named Ryan Hall and uh, and it's a, it's a quote from I don't know the guy's name he, he wrote the book Dune the author in question by the way is Frank Herbert 
um, seek liberty and, and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and find your find your freedom. And uh, and I I think that's very applicable to everything. And I think um, you know for so for so long I, I thought that poker was was a thing where it gave me freedom, and that freedom was was the key to to my happiness um, in my life. And um, and I've sort of realized the opposite as of the past three years. I, I I've realized that you know working hard and 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 uh and being disciplined and really really trying to to excel at something and and become great at something is is probably a a more likely uh key to 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 happiness and freedom and all that and this is Olivier talking about exactly the same topic. Notice the similarities you know like when playing poker for a living. I'm, you know, one of the the real big pros of this life is autonomy and freedom, and I get to do kind of whatever I want, whenever I want. Um, but there are some downsides to that autonomy, and I think, at least for me in my experience, one of the downsides has been essentially not developing or having essentially like a lack of discipline. And you know, discipline I think is really important, especially if you have some productive goals. Um, it's really important to develop good habits and discipline. Really helps you achieve. Um, you know, whatever goals that you have. So I thought that forcing myself or being in a position where I felt like I didn't really have much of a choice and had to, you know, wake up at a certain time, go to training, especially if I didn't enjoy the training that much. And I, you know, there are, there are aspects of the training that I didn't really enjoy. Um, I, uh, I, I could develop some, some discipline. Um, and I think I've definitely done that. Um, so, you know, it was important to me to create a situation where I felt like I would get a lot of out of the experience regardless of how um, how the fight went. And I think, you know, part of that comes from, you know, training in poker where you, you know, you try to detach the results from the decision making. Um, I just know regardless of whether I'm favored in this fight at this point, regardless of whether I quote unquote should win, whether I've made a good bet or any of those considerations, there's obviously some variance. And I can't. There's some things I just cannot control. Whether JC is just a better fighter than me and beats me, whether JC um, gets lucky and subs me, or you know catches me on the chin or something. Um, regardless of the outcomes, I can obviously lose the fight. And I just wanted to make sure that I didn't feel like it was a total letdown or a uh, waste of time or disaster. If 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 that was if the worst case ended up happening, obviously I don't plan for that, and I don't really even think about that too much. I, I'm I'm pretty positive and I'm pretty confident, but still, I'm, you know I try to be. Uh, somewhat realistic in, in terms of evaluating outcomes. What don't you enjoy about training? Touching on that. Uh, I don't enjoy getting my ass kicked when I'm really tired, like I was talking about before. And then I also, you know, I think it takes a real specific type of personality to to really do this. You know, I'm kind of pretending this life you know, I'm, I have a project that has a, you know, a, a, a limited amount of time associated with it. So I know there's this light at the end of the tunnel. I know that I'm not going to have to do anything after the fight if I don't want to. Um, I haven't decided, like, kind of how I'm going to train or what I'm going to train or what I'm, what I'm going to do after the fight. But I know that um, I'm training for this one thing and then that's it. Um, but for someone who, like, does this like consistently for a living, you know, for real. It takes a, a, a unique type of person, I think, because, you know, when I, especially with people that I like, that I care about and that I like, like, I don't like inflicting damage and I don't like receiving damage. Um, so in, in, in certain instances, I feel like it's just kind of like a loose-loose. Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoy kind of like learning um, getting better. Um, but there's this aspect that, um, I kind of at, at times dread. Um, so yeah. And, and, and then I think also there's this association I have with training that is somewhat unique because I'm training in the context of this project. I feel an enormous amount of pressure associated with my training. So like there are some people who I train with, who are very, very good, but are not on the comp team. 
and they have a sense of like just really like relaxation associated with it. Like they're very chill. Like they have a bad day. Like they don't care. You know, when you when you compete, um, you know, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to constantly get better, to constantly get tougher, to constantly get in better shape. You know, because you need to be at peak when you fight. Um, and you just put, you have high standards for yourself. And, you know, I mean, obviously all these things are obvious. And, and then for me, you know, there's a lot of pressure because I've like built this moment up. This this like, you know, obviously there's the money and there's just like all of these things. So I just, I have anxiety associated with my training because it's related to this like pressure moment that, that that's building up to it. For the most part, considering the sums of money, considering the natural tension between two guys who are going to step into a cage to beat each other up, it's been fairly amicable between the two fighters. Both guys told me that there's no real bad blood on their end, but that's not to say it's been 100% friendly. We've sure. had some interactions, JC and I, in which it's been less than cordial. But you like, still don't dislike him. You you have no like animosity towards him. No, no. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't dislike him. Um, but like, yeah. I mean, there like there was a time where like, especially in the beginning, where like. He was talking about putting the fight in like Asia, like on a professional card in Asia, and I was just like, "Dude, this is fucking a terrible idea! Like, what's wrong with you?" And then he was basically like, "Like, I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, like, people don't talk to me like that." He was like, "If you ever talk to me like that again, like, I'll find you and beat the shit out of you for free or something." Like, like he was, he got mad. So at one point, you suggested to Olivier that maybe the fight could be on the prelims of a one championship card in Asia. Um, he didn't like that suggestion very much, and then you guys got into it a little bit. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, it was first he, he said that I was being uh, dishonest and like sort of implied that I was shady by offering the fight be in Mexico City, um, where the altitude would be a factor. Which, I mean, obviously I knew that I would have a big edge if the fight was at Mexico City, but I also did offer him better odds. So I think, you know, I did nothing underhanded in that situation. I, 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 I just didn't mention the altitude, but I, I said, uh, I said, if you fight in Mexico City, I'll give you better odds, um, which I think is fair. And then he mentioned that, so that kind of annoyed me, and then... I asked him if he wanted to do it in one FC because I really thought it it would be cool. And and Robo and I had talked about Andrew Robo and I had talked about having the fight in one FC because it would be a great experience. I mean, <laughs> you know, we we get to fight in one of the biggest promotions in the world. It's almost like uh, let's get in the UFC and and uh, and make the fight happen as you know with this one-off freak show fight. You know, whatever we could have it in Hong Kong and play a Macau tournament, or <laughs> whatever might might have yeah. might have been around there. What was his objection, or or why did why why would this kind of an discussion turn into like an argument where you guys actually started sniping? Because he because when he doesn't agree with something, he'll call you a fucking idiot like just out of nowhere. Like this is the the type of guy he is. Because you think he, like he's you just think he's like a hothead. Oh, clearly he is. Yeah. Okay. Like he the other day, a guy on Twitter said, "Hey, are you? Uh, I want to bet JC at minus one ten." And they had like a an argument which Olivier didn't understand, and he's like, "Stop messaging me! You're a fucking idiot." Uh, and then went on a uh, on a rage uh, with this guy, and then you know, thirty minutes later, he's like, "Oh, you're completely right. I'm sorry. I apologize." <laughs> Whereas, like, at no point was was it justified to just be like, "Hey, man, you're a fucking idiot," to anyone. You'd think that after training martial arts for six months, you'd be a little less of an asshole, but uh, it doesn't seem like this guy is. Pretty strong words. There's also one other thing that seems to really rankle JC. Olivier considers himself the better athlete, something that he's mentioned multiple times in other interviews. Remember this statement that he made previously? Um, especially if I was, you know, a better athlete than him, and I didn't. I don't think that I'm some massively superior athlete, but I thought, you know, I, I I'm probably overall the level of like a Division three college athlete, and. Mm -hmm. He was probably at the level of a high school athlete, you know, a good high school athlete. So I thought there was probably like one 
athletic level difference. That pissed me off because I think, like, where does he get that from? I don't. I, I don't think at any point in the negotiation did we just try to quali- quantify who was the better at. I mean, we tried to quantify how athletic we were, but I don't know where he made that up. I was going to play professional soccer. Like that's that's a level of athleticism that I don't think he was. I don't think he, he called himself. He called himself a a good Division three college athlete and me a good high school athlete in an interview and that's just absurd like you know I, I was 18 I was playing with the reserves of a professional soccer team um, living in a house with all aspiring professional soccer players and that's soccer is like quite an athletic sport that's like insanely athletic I mean the sort of leg dexterity that you need the 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 conditioning that you need you it, it's a pretty intense sport and he did track and field he did like like some sort of running thing for the record olivier told me that he ran a 430 mile as a freshman in high school which impressed me but perhaps not jc you know ru- running running laps <laughs> i don't know i don't think it compares to soccer and I, you know i i won Tennis tournaments, I've, uh, uh, I've done a bunch and done judo, you know, and done all that stuff. Like, uh, I'm sure I could throw my leg way above his head, and I'm pretty <laughs> damn sure he can't do that to me. Yeah, that that pissed you off. Has anything else? Yeah, pissed you off in the last six yeah, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one thing that really pisses me off. Which is that he that he says that uh, he keeps on claiming that his motivation to do this was to to learn how to fight, to learn how to you know, uh, to just to that he was very motivated to learn how to fight and that he's always it's always been something that he's that he's wanted to learn to do but he's never been motivated enough and then like fucking the whole time that he, ever since the negotiations. Till like anything he posts on social media or whatever is about how jacked he is, and it's like, dude, if you want, if you, if your motivation was to learn how to fight, you wouldn't be lifting weights. Like his motivation, and I don't think this is a, a bad thing. I just be honest about it. Like his motivation is to is to win this prop bet. Like he's he's which is, you know, reasonable, obviously. But that's all he needs to say is, I, I just want to beat this guy in this one fight. And that's why I'm, like, really concerned about how big I get. And that's how, why, you know, I'm um, um, out there, like, bench pressing every day and, and trying to get super, and, you know, pr- probably doing a whole lot of other stuff that's not just bench pressing, and by that I mean, you know, juicing. Um, and that's, you th- that's you think bothered me. You like, think he's on the juice? I don't know what type of juice he's on, but look, I know this. I know that I have the best trainer in the world, and I know that for the first two months, or the first, you know, three months since I saw him, since I saw my trainer, he wanted to do a hypertrophy program to get me to gain some weight and I did and I know I I gained quite a bit of weight and naturally and I don't look at all like that I know I know you can't look like that like normally not when you're 34 have you like this guy's pictures when he was 30 or like like I've shown it to professional like trainers and athletes and and they're all like they just all start laughing. Um, you don't you don't just suddenly uh, you know reach your your peak of testosterone production at 34 years old. Um, it's right around the time when doctors start telling you that you need TRT. So, I mean, I, I'm not even gonna like use that as a as any sort of excuse, like like do you or, care? Or, I mean, or, like you guys didn't stipulate no, in the I, rules or anything. Like you know, like what, what's your sort of feeling on it? Like, 
we kind of did. So, so this is so this happened. Okay, um, I, I started liking all the tweets that mentioned just because I was kind of I was kind of trolling and I thought it was funny when he posted a picture of him with a shirt off. I started mentioning all these tweets. I started liking all these tweets that mentioned that he was on steroids. And then he writes me a private message and he's like, you're fucking pathetically clueless and blah, blah, blah. And you, you don't know what my genetics are. Uh, like, I've had large traps my whole life. And, um, and, and he was really, I mean, for lack of a better word, roid raging. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I just, I was like, man, you know what? They find anabolics in, in regular supplements all the time. Maybe you want to get that checked out. And I, and I, and I made sure I told them, like, I don't think, I don't think this is cheating. I'm not blaming you for it. We agreed to not test. We did agree not to take anything, but we also agreed to not test. The reason JC says that they agreed not to test is because of the prohibitive cost. True drug testing, he points out, is expensive. But he also acknowledges that he wouldn't even necessarily consider it cheating if Olivier were on performance-enhancing drugs. So, so I told him this. I told him I, I, I don't, you know, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. And he responded with saying, um, he, he said, if I had, if I'd known that that steroids were legal, I'd probably, I'd probably do, be doing them. So, so that right there just says who, who this guy is. Like what? You'd be, you know, you'd be risking your health and stuff to, if you knew that it was legal to, to just have this one fight. And, and, and then what happens? Like, so, so we had that Twitter exchange. Now he knows that I think is legal. Is he taking them now? Cause he said that. I don't know. This is a pretty big, not to mention aggressive, allegation. I needed to get Olivier's response to this accusation. It's something that had swirled around a lot and been a bit of a subplot to this story. Olivier posting pictures of himself on social media looking both huge and defined, and various people in the poker world responding that he had to be on something. The worst of these were on a poker forum called 2 Plus 2, where speculation about whether Olivier was clean or dirty ran wild. When you when you had some of those pictures and in the two plus two threads, there are a bunch of people who are like, nobody gets that big that quickly without artificial help. Okay. Um, yeah. I thought. What's your what's your response to that kind of an accusation? So it's funny because you're saying that like essentially like random two plus two people were saying that, but JC actually like flat out accused me of using uh, hmm. uh, PEDs. Uh, he said something to the effect of like he was 85% sure I had like juice flowing through my veins. He said he showed my picture to a couple professionals who agreed that they pointed at my lats as proof. Um, and this was just all like a big joke to me, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm sitting there having 100% of the information and somebody else who's basically just making shit up is like accusing me of something that's just completely not true. Right. Like I took creatine mm. and I took some vitamins <laughs> Uh, and the truth is I didn't actually gain that much weight. Uh, I probably gained on like seven or eight pounds in six months, which right. is really not much at all. My body looks different because my, uh, body fat percentage went down. Um, but I think people might also be comparing me to maybe me of two years ago or me of three years ago in two and a half years, I've gained about 20 pounds. Okay. Um, but not, you know, like at the world series this summer, like I was pretty big. Um, I was more big in my upper body, <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've gotten like that big and I, I, I could show pictures of like a before my training where I was like, I look like relatively jacked, you know I mean? That much is certainly true. I recently saw some pictures from 2012 that were posted on 2 plus 2. Olivia was definitely a big dude then. He goes on. Um, I'm obviously not in the same type of condition, um, but that's just like, or just just ridiculous and it was just one of those things where i was just like it made me feel even more confident because it made me feel that he was a little intimidated and it made me feel that he was just kind of talking from a place you know, he was talking with a level of confidence that just didn't match his level of uh knowledge um right. so yeah i mean i, I and, and also i mean to be honest like i i have i think i have genetics that 
might surprise people. Like I'm not like some f- super freak, but I mean, I am, I do have some pretty good genetics and I trained really hard. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, you know, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I didn't think it was, and also, you know, there was another funny thing, which was, you know, when I post pictures, I mean, it should be pretty obvious to people, I'm posting them 10 minutes after I've done working out. Yeah, you know, so you have you, yeah, extra pumped. Yeah. yeah, no one looks like, I don't wake up looking like that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, everyone looks great like 10 minutes after they stop doing like, six you know, bench press sets, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that was another kind of thing that I thought was funny. And it wasn't just the steroid allegations that annoyed Olivier. Here he is again. Well, there was <laughs> one time where he said, okay. uh, he was like, everybody knows you're an online tough guy, real life pussy. That felt kind of personal when he said that. People are just so much braver online. Um, I actually kind of like Olivier in a way. But first of all, I didn't discover, I didn't realize that he, until after I made the bet, I didn't know how many people like actively disliked him. And then I started finding out why. And the reason why is because he's kind of a dick. And, like, he specifically, he's, he used to, and he's talked about this in interviews, but, like I, like, I know he accepts it, but he used to talk a lot of shit in chat. And I think, you know, a lot of us did. I, I certainly have in the past, not the way he did, but I talk a little bit of shit sometimes. And, uh, and he's the type of guy that I've run into, like, a few times in in my poker career that would say some really nasty stuff to people and then and then in person he'd be pretty nice and i know this specifically because i have two friends that it's happened to uh, to which he he said some real fucking bad shit to and then and then just completely cordial in person JC continues, recalling that argument about whether or not to have the fight in Asia on a pro card. We got in a, in a Twitter DM fight early on where he, where he started, like, raging, uh, like, calling me, like, retarded and shit. And, uh, and I said, if, if you keep talking shit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the fuck out of you at PCA when, for free. <laughs> and I meant it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't lying because, you know, where I come from, like I don't, like I'm, I don't take that lightly. Like I don't take, you know, he wouldn't call me retarded in person. He wouldn't say you're a fucking retard or whatever it is. Like he wouldn't do that because because the second that happens, you know, we're gonna fight, probably. But like I said, it's not all heated. And you know. It, like ever like I said, everything I've I've said to him has been has been real. And at the same time, like later on we were fine in PCA and we talked and and he was cordial. The PCA is the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure, one of the biggest poker tournaments in the world, held annually in the Bahamas. And I was cordial back and um and then later on we started tweeting again and uh DMing because we have to because we're talking about a bunch of logistical stuff right. and and we're fine he even like like at some point you know said hey I'm glad we're we're getting along um I think you were right about a lot of the stuff you said earlier about the fight and uh and I was like cool man that's good like I appreciate that and and then later he got really pissed about the steroid stuff again. Uh, but that was kind of my fault, I guess. It remains to be seen whether JC is true to his word and says to Olivier's face what he's been saying to him through private messages. But for Olivier's part, he actually sounds like he hopes that any beef they have is dropped shortly after the final bell is sounded. Like I said this to him a couple months ago, you know, I said, because, you know, we were both at PCA and at, at, at one of the tournaments, actually in the main event, we happened to be seated at the same table. And I and I said this to him later. I said, you know, everybody keeps asking me about my training and my experience and all this stuff. And I was like, the one person that I would like to speak about this the most with is you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know, because there's, you know, obviously we're going to fight each other, but we're both going through this experience, you know, together um, in a way. And and I think he understood and he kind of echoed that sentiment. And he was like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to like talking to you about this like after the fight. Here's a weird twist to all of this. Remember Olivier mentioning his busted up nose. He didn't just tell me that in confidence. 
He even told JC. That comment actually earned JC's respect, although maybe not in the way you think. Four weeks before the fight, he got a text message from Olivier. So I don't like I don't know how much you can say about what or if anything about what he talked about with you guys, but today he just wrote me a message, um, and he's like, I'll read it out loud. He wrote me a message saying something like, like I just uh, got kneed in the face again and busted my nose once more. Word to the wise, and in parentheses wrote, and this is not a troll. I wouldn't advise like uh, hard sparring right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just know he's like, and he told me he got need. He got need in the nose. Guess what? Guess what? I'm gonna try to do. Um, I, get, I might try to knee him in the nose. Um, I don't know. I think it's hilarious. How like it's the sort of thing where if he's just honest about that, he can't be a bad guy. You know, right. he's just right. just simply like innocent. It's not even like I don't think he's a dumb per- guy for for because he's telling me this stuff because he's not a dumb person. He's like very clearly uh, he's a very clearly intelligent guy. I just think he he if he's not trolling, he's he's just you know very innocent. And if he is trolling. <laughs> he's he's not doing a great job at it. He's just uh, it's just funny enough to where also he can't be a he can't be a bad guy. I don't think so. I think that's funny. Um, and then there's been a million different DMs like this, like where he's just very completely like innocent. He he got shocked when I told him I was going to go with coaches like early on. He's like, "What do you mean to like be in your corner and yell stuff at you?" and <laughs> Basically telling me, you know, two months after the fight about that, he doesn't know what cornering is. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed my exchanges with him. And, and it's unfortunate that I can't – like, we have something that's very unique to us, right? Um, of course. The, the, I can't even, – even with a fighter, I can't really uh, – I can't really get him to, to understand what I'm going through, given the fact that like I'm fighting for big bucks on like a big stage, somewhat big stage, and and um, and I have no experience, and he's the only other person in the world that 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 this is that's going through the same things that I am. So it'd be cool to get to like, I think in a way he's kind of you know just going through with with talking about these experiences because he knows that I'm the only guy that understands and it'd be cool to be able to share everything. And I, and I really look forward to like win or lose to, to talking to him and and really going through our story or even listening to what he has to say here. Yeah. You guys, do you you think you'll be like friends after the fight? I can't predict, but like who knows how he'll react if he loses, who knows how he'll react if he wins. If he wins, he might piss me off, and I might hate him, you know. And if and if he loses, he might be pissed off, and he might hate him, or he might hate me. And I I don't know, but I I, I sure hope so. Like I hope we could, we could you know be cool, and and I, I think that's what competition with in the martial arts is all about, right? Like you do feel this deep sort of animosity towards your opponent to the point where you want to beat his face in but you're sharing something that's so intimate that's so like personal that's so i don't know um deep i guess with someone that that uh that only you're the only two people going through this whole process together and and uh, and i would assume that you know shake, shaking your opponent's hand after the fight and you know having a good talk sometime would be uh would be would be the the best the best thing to do and and really uh the only thing that would truly uh represent the spirit of martial arts i guess you know there's a respect for anyone that that you step into into a cage with i guess Despite any animosity, that's one thing that they can agree on. For what it's worth, 
After having talked to Olivier for hours, I definitely don't think he's trolling. JC used the word innocent. Olivier called himself honest and open. In a way, those are more similar adjectives than they sound. JC's the sort of guy who's meticulous about maintaining his edge. He's not the kind of guy who would ever tell an opponent about an injury, or give him any kind of opportunity to exploit him. Olivier wants the advantages in his favor too, but he also wants something else, in my opinion. He wants to be liked. He wants to be respected. Because while some might say he has a reputation for being an internet tough guy, and JC might not like the tone of his negotiations, he certainly hasn't gotten aggressive throughout the course of this fight lead-up. He's been deferential, if anything, almost too nice. Talking about wanting to empathize with your opponent before the fights even happened? It almost seems like the guy who never backed down from a drunken bar fight at Cornell has grown a bit of a softer side. In the vast majority of prize fights, the hatchet is buried as soon as the final bell sounds. No matter how nasty it might have been leading up to the fight, you'll often see the two fighters embrace and share a moment afterwards. Is a $270,000 swing in fortune going to change that? I don't know. All we do know at this point is that Olivier Bousquet and JC Alvarado are going down the most personal of paths, and there's only one person in the universe that can truly understand what they're going through. And it's the one person that they can't talk to about it. All In or Knocked Out is the work of host Terence Chan and producer Ross Henry. Our production assistant is Robin McDonald. Music is by Murphy Chops. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to this episode's $100 Black Trip contributor, Grateful Mouse. For more information on the series, check out allinornockedout.com. We really hope that you're enjoying our production. If you did, and you want us to continue making more, please consider making a donation. Once again, that's allinornockedout.com. You can also reach us on Twitter. I'm at Poker, And I'm at PokerCastRoss. This has been part two of All In or Knocked Out.